Welcome to episode 8 of the 412 Double Play Podcast. Today is June 19th. I am, as always, your host, Michael Castrogano. Joining me today, my co-host, Ed Wassel. Ed, thanks for joining. We had a late night last night recording the first episode of our Top 30 Pirates Prospects. Now, that is now live on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, where we each listed our 30 through 21 ranked players. Definitely check that out. Continue to tune in as we will be posting those episodes Saturday nights for the next few weeks. Uh, really excited for the progress that's happening with that. Ed, how are you doing today? Uh, not too bad. Had a little little hiccup in my day today, but I'm not going to complain too much. Well, happy Father's Day to you. I know that you've uh, a father of two. I'm a father of one myself, so hopefully you at least got to spend some time with the kiddos. I did. Happy Father's Day to you as well. Thank you very much. Uh, and at least for the Pirates side, we had a, a pretty good Father's Day gift from them. But before we get into that, let's look at the roster roundup for this past week. So, busy couple days, three days specifically. June 13th, we optioned left-handed pitcher Aaron Fletcher, outfielder Travis Swaggerty. Basically just got a cup of coffee, barely even played in the week that he was up. Uh, placed Dwayne Underwood Jr. on the COVID IL and recalled shortstop Boy Park. Kanan Smith and Jigba, outfielder, and selected the contract of Jason DeLay, a catcher, to uh, fill in those spots. June 14th, option delay back down after the first game of the doubleheader. Activated relief pitcher Heath Hembry and recalled uh, pitcher, starting pitcher Bryce Wilson as the 27th man for the second game of the doubleheader. He was sent down after the game. And then on June 17th, second baseman Tucapito Marcano placed on the COVID IL. Outfielder Kanan Smith and Jigba went on a 60-day injury list with a right wrist fracture, which occurred during Wednesday's game after a near collision in the outfield with Brian Reynolds. And then left-handed pitcher Camvo had his contract selected from Indy, while top 100 prospect Leover Piguero was called up from Altoona. So lots of moving pieces this past week. Top prospect Swaggerty getting sent down. Kanan Smith and Jigba coming up. He's another top prospect, but then getting injured. So he's gone. Uh, COVID, once again, is sidelining a couple guys, Underwood and Marcano, who has been really good. But we got to see Paguero come up, and he went one for three in his start on Saturday. So um, interesting to see anything stand out from those three days of transactions that you think is good, bad, indifferent. Uh, Swaggerty being sent down so soon. I don't feel like he even got a chance. I'm not sure what that whole whole thing was about. Uh, Peguero coming up was fun to see him finally get some some major league action. Yeah, I think he he showed he's got he's got what it takes to play. Very small sample size, but I think his one hit was what like 108 miles an hour or something like that. It was 106 or 107. So yeah, it was a shot to right field. Um, and he also walked in his last at bat, so he's on base yeah, twice well, yesterday. It's fun to see these young guys come up. Yeah, definitely exciting. Hopefully, Marcano is back soon. I think he's he's a real um, fire starter at the top of the lineup. Been playing really good second base. Although we didn't see, <laughs> we were rumored to be seeing O'Neill Cruz this weekend. Looks like that didn't come to fruition. It was a last minute allegedly a last minute thing with Marcano going on the IL, Paguero being in Altoona much closer than Cruz who was playing down in Gwinnett County in Georgia. So it seemed like a, an easier call up. We've seen that before uh, earlier this season when Tucker, Cole Tucker and Brian Reynolds went on the IL and um, Jack Sawinski was called up. So uh, it's possible that that's just the reason it is rumored, once again, that Cruz is coming up to start the series tomorrow against the Cubs. Pitching contrasts, uh, excuse me, contracts tomorrow. So we'll go down to uh, 13 pitchers and 13 hitters. So they need to make a move anyway with the addition of uh, Vo to the lineup. Uh, someone now needs to get cut or sent back down. Personally hoping for Heath Hembry. Definitely hasn't done any favors this past week. Already, I think at his first outing, he started giving up runs. So, would not mind yeah. if he's the one who gets cut. <laughs> I, I, I'm assuming he's going to be the one. 
No, I mean, De Los Santos could get sent down. Vo could be sent down again. Um, they've got a couple options. Henry just came back, so I don't... And he wasn't even doing well in Indy. I think he had like a five-plus ERA down there and a couple outings, so not surprised to see that happening. So, yeah, he, he could have been brought up as more of an inning eater kind of guy. Yeah, I mean, the the main thing this season is that the Pirates aren't really trying to win. They kind of know that this is going to be a blown season where we're going to have 95-plus losses, but um, I'm hoping that we start seeing some of the younger guys more, like De Los Santos, like Vo, Cody Bolton, you mentioned yesterday, as a top 30 prospect. Once again, <laughs> plugging that, go ahead and give that a listen. <laughs> um, he's somebody who can come up and give you innings out of the bullpen. He's been playing both starter and relief role down in Indy. So to be going with guys like Hembry is kind of like spitting in the face of guys like Bolton, for instance, who are showing up every day and performing well and, you know, not getting the call not getting added to the, the 40 man. Yeah. Uh, don't tell Crow the pirates aren't expecting to win this season. He was Crow had a loss the other Yesterday, yeah, he, he was he was pretty passionate about saying that the team is good. He was, yeah. I remember that recent interview where he said that this team is better than 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 people think, and they're going to surprise people. But I think that was before uh, this past week, which didn't go so well. And I kind of think that's the perfect segue into our weekly recap. So, Pirates playing four games in three days lost three of four to the Cards. Narrowly avoided getting no hit for the second time this season. Game two of the doubleheader. Really not much going right in the first three games. Starting pitching, bullpen, and offense was all struggling. Pirates lost 7-5, 3-1, and 9-1 before salvaging the series with a 6-4 win. Then Pirates came back to Pittsburgh. Giants came to town. Left-handed pitching in the first two games that once again was stymieing the Bucko Bats. Game one for a 2-0 loss, while the Bucks eventually broke through in game two behind a three-run home run by Diego Castillo, but as I mentioned before, Will Crow proved he is human when he had a blow-up outing as the Bucks lost 7-5, spoiling the debut of Paguero. Today's game seemed like it was headed to disaster early on as Mitch Keller ran into early trouble as the first three batters reached base, two via walk and one from an error by second baseman Hoy Park. A Jock Peterson single made it an early 2-0 score, but Park came back with a solo home run in the third, while Captain Jack Zawinski hit solo shots of his own in the fourth, Sixth and a walk-off winner in the ninth to earn the Pirates a 4-3 through three win, avoiding the sweep. So, <laughs> I, I said last week, if we win one game in each of the series against the Cards and the Giants, that that would be successful and that would be certainly better than what we had gotten the week before with the um, Braves and... Who did we play the week before? I thought it was the Cardinals. Oh, the Tigers. Tigers and the Tigers, Braves. Yes. Um, do you have any thoughts about the uh, series against the Cards and the Giants? No, like, like you said, it's kind of same old, same old, where Pirates just aren't producing offensively, aside from the 7-5 loss where they, you know, they can manage to get five runs. It's just constantly yeah. losing, you know, I will say three to, three to two, two to one, stuff like that. They're, they're keeping it close. The, we had two 7-5 losses, one in the first game against the Cardinals and one in the second game against the Giants. Um, and then the 9-1 game, which was the uh, near no-hit effort where they, they just couldn't get anything going against uh, – who was that, Jack Flaherty? Uh, Jack Flaherty was, was game four. That was Rodone, wasn't it? No, Rodone plays for the – in um, the Cardinals. Oh, drawing a blank here uh, on who that was. I'll have to look it up in a second. So, yeah, um, but working on it. But weird moments from the uh, we did have the um, Gadier Molina second game of the card series that we're referring to. That was Miles Mikolas. He yeah, um, was at second base. And was picked off, but he contested with the umpires that Thompson had balked. And even though that's not a reviewable play and makes no sense, the umps agreed. 
and he was not out and eventually scored later on that inning. And then in the game today, Brandon Crawford of the Giants, in trying to break up a double play, essentially tackled Hoy Park, um, which was kind of a weird situation. I was like, that's just an odd... I mean, for starters... Uh, he could have been playing in like the 60s and 70s. Yeah, no, Crawford's got that look of a guy who's kind of like playing in the six. I mean, he's like, what, six foot two, 230, plays shortstop. So it's like, yeah, that's fine. Uh, but Molina, it's once again the Cardinals catcher just being able to dictate how the game is supposed to be played. Because yeah. I mean, if that's he, anybody yeah, else saying that. Because he's been around forever. And I, I kind of get it. I get it for, for like calls behind the plate. And stuff like that. Oh, you're, you're the, man. That, that veteran who's been back there forever probably doesn't get under the umpire's skin a lot. Knows, knows what he can get away with. But something like that at second base with a questioning of that something could have been a balk, that just – it's absurd. There's, there's no way. And even behind the plate, I feel like – I don't know if you've seen the video of um, – there was a like a half swing by a guy – and uh, Molina caught the ball, and it was called a ball, but he was he made the signal like it had skimmed off the glove. Or it skimmed off the bat, excuse me, into his glove to the umpire. And the umpire was like, okay, yeah, foul tip, strike three, he's out. And I'm like, are you serious? <laughs> but, like, you can't – how can you contest that? How can you make an umpire change a decision on something like that? That can't – but it, it's happened to Molina – Maybe not early on in his career, but certainly later on. Yeah. Like, oh, excuse me. Like I said, he's been back there so long. You kind of get relationship with these guys. But it is it is tricky in those situations. Don't think you should get those those specific calls. Like I said, I can understand borderline pitches that you can – argue where strikes or balls, but definitely a little bit of special treatment there. Yeah. I, I feel like Molina, for as long as I could remember, has gotten a bit more special treatment than the average player. But we're not worrying about that. Cards, we're not playing for at least a little while. And uh, we're going to focus on the farm system now. So let's go down on the farm. Indianapolis Indians were at win at Stripers. The Indians lost four of six in that series. My guy, Bly Madris, went nine for 23 on the week with four doubles. And Miguel Yahure earned one of those two wins on the pitching side today as he went three and two-thirds innings, allowing one run on four hits, walking one, and striking out three. The Altoona Curve hosted the Erie Seawolves. They also lost four of six. Matt Gorski led the offense with three home runs. As Matt Frazier, who's been rebounding from an early season slump, batted 368 over the week with two doubles and two RBI, Quinn Priester made his curve debut today, going three innings with one hit and three strikeouts. Going down to Greensboro, they hosted the Hudson Valley Renegades. The Grasshoppers also lost four of six. Solid performances from Sammy Siani and Andy Rodriguez, who each hit a home run and got on base at a solid clip this week. Nick Garcia and Sean Sullivan both had stellar outings pitching combining for 13 shutout innings with eight hits and seven strikeouts. I didn't have either of these guys in my top 30 list. Both were very close, definitely prospects to watch going forward. And finally, Bradenton at Fort Myers Muscles. Marauders lost four of five this week as the last game in the series was postponed due to rain today. Bradenton was powered offensively by Jace Bowen, who batted 500 with one double, one home run, and a perfect six for six in stolen bases. Only 21, really like him moving forward. Expect him to get bumped up to Greensboro by next month. Could start shooting up some prospect lists. Pitching was led by Carlos Jimenez, who went four innings, allowing one run on two hits with two walks and seven strikeouts. Ed, any thoughts on the farm system? Not a lot to like on the uh, uh, win-loss column there, but a lot of really good performances by guys who – we're hoping to see good performances from some names, certainly that we mentioned on our top 30 prospect list. Yeah. Uh, it's nice to see Frazier finally bouncing back after a slow start. I know he's, he's pretty high in a lot of guys lists after last season. Just had a horrible start to the season, but 
said, finally bouncing back. Uh, nice to see Priester out there getting some work in. Uh, let me see here. Yeah, Priester uh, in his yeah. last start with uh, Greensboro, I think he gave up five runs in two innings, maybe two and a third innings. But the start before that was in Bradenton, where he was part of the no-hitter effort with uh, Anthony Salamito, who just this past week went on the injured list, unfortunately. Oh, that's not, not fun. <laughs> yeah. And so, also uh, Carlos Jimenez, who I believe was on your your top 30 list. He was indeed, yes. Uh, so he, he had a nice outing, too. Yeah. Uh, happy to see... Uh, Bly Madras continuing to play well. He's getting some starts at first base. Apparently he did play some first base in college and then was moved to outfield to get some more versatility. So um, I, he didn't look super comfortable there. Didn't make uh, two errors in the game, I believe, on Thursday. So uh, it may just be kind of like been in the outfield for so long now. Got to dust off the rust. But uh, Gorski did great. Matt Frazier, uh, his April, he batted 164 with only four extra base hits. So he's really starting to turn things around. Not like getting super hot, but this past week, really solid. So maybe the start of something as the summer warms up. And um, the Fort Myers muscles are a really tough team. The Marauders, I think, got swept or close to swept last time they faced them. So I didn't really expect them to do too well, <laughs> but Jace Bowen, he's, he's a guy, like I said, he's, he's fringe. I'm, I'm really could potentially see him shooting into that top 30 as guys start graduating from this. You know what we call Matt Frazier this year? What we call Matt Frazier this year? A late to bloomer. He may be a late to bloomer. He's a late bloomer. <laughs> that might be a, a future special for us, the late the bloomers. Uh, but jumping into the special for this episode, evaluating Ben Sherrington trade history. So with Leo Verpaguero arriving with the Pirates, however short the time may be, we are seeing another player arriving in the bigs who has been a part of Sherrington trades. Paguero was part of the first major trade BC made after taking over the GM position. And it made me think back to evaluate his major trades since joining the Bucks in 2019. So that first trade, as I mentioned, was Starling Marte for Leo Verpaguero and Brennan Malone. Paguero has been moving steadily up the minor league rosters, finally debuted this past weekend. He's a, you know, top 100 prospect in MOE Pipeline and Baseball America and is a top five prospect, I'd say, on almost every Pirates prospect list. So, He's definitely looking good. Brennan Malone hasn't been doing as well. He is back on the injured list as of, I think, Thursday. Uh, he's been struggling with injuries, COVID. Um, Marte didn't last long with the Diamondbacks. He was traded to the Marlins. The Marlins traded him to the A's. He's now with the Mets. He's been doing very – I mean, he's continuing to put up solid numbers regardless of what organization he's with. So I think that that's kind of a – a better deal for us because I think the Diamondbacks got less for Marte than they gave up for him. So I'm, yeah. I'm okay. And I'm, I'm happy with Paguero's got a ton of potential. It could be shortstop of the future. Malone. I mean, he was like a end of first round. Maybe he was a compensation draft pick back in 2019, 2018, something like that. So there were him and Quinn Priester were getting similar comps. He just has been derailed by injuries and hasn't been able to keep up with that kind of development track. So I'm hoping that he's able to put things together and get back to that level. He's got really good stuff. He's been a top 30 prospect guy. It, we're just not able to see enough of him to keep him on the list. I He was borderline for me, but like I said, can't see enough of him, so can't really um, determine that. Uh a second trade that I'm seeing here, Josh Bell for Will Crow and Eddie Yeen. I know you're high on Yeen. Had him at 29 on your list of the 21 through 30 that we've covered so far. Will Crow, I mean, he was at MLB ready. This seemed more like trying to fill a hole by getting rid of a guy who was not going to be performing all that well anymore. Bell's in his walk year with the Nationals. He's been 
you know, putting up numbers. He's been hitting home runs, but um, this one's kind of a wash. I feel like Bell wasn't going to do all that much for us besides play really poor defense and put up okay offense at first base. Yeah, he, he, he's still a defensive liability over at first. Yeah, and he, it's definitely been showing with the Nationals as well. Eddie Yeen, you know, still got a ton of potential. Uh, as we talked about yesterday, good fastball. He's got some breaking stuff that he's working on. Could potentially be moving up. And Crow's been putting up really good innings since he transitioned to the bullpen. So I can see him continuing to be productive for us for at least the next few seasons. Now we're getting into some more contentious trades. Number three, Joe Musgrove for David Bednar. Hudson Head, Drake Fellows, and Omar Cruz from the Padres. And we got Andy Rodriguez from the Mets. So Musgrove, I think in his second start last year, playing for his hometown team, uh, pitched the first no-hitter in Padres history. He's been stellar this season. I think he's got probably still a sub-3 ERA. He had a solid ERA last season. This is his walk year, so we traded two years of Musgrove for, what, seven years of Bednar. And none of the other guys, they're all in the minor leagues. Hudson Head, I'm not very high on. I know he's a top 30 prospect in MLB Pipeline. Not hitting enough for me. Not getting, he's striking out a lot. Drake Fellows, I haven't seen a ton of. Omar Cruz is very projectable. And then Andy Rodriguez, possibly the best part of that trade, is um, a top 10 prospect for the Pirates. He could end up being top 100 in baseball by the end of the season as guys once again start graduating. Um, I, I, I don't think Musgrove was going to develop into that type of pitcher with the Pirates that he did with the Padres. And Bednar's grown into one of the best closers in baseball. He's probably going to make the All-Star game. I don't. Yeah, he'll probably be the only Pirate All-Star this year. I don't know who else it's going to be. I mean, Hayes is having a good season, but he's got a lot of guys to leapfrog to get there with Machado and Arenado. So Bednar seems like the obvious pick there. If we're trading Joe Musgrove for an all-star closer, who we could potentially end up trading, hopefully not this season, but later down the road for you know another haul and keep the movement going. But Bednar being a hometown guy, really love to see the success. Uh, he went to Lafayette College, which is in the Bethlehem area where I'm located. So I've been rooting for him since he got picked and I'm really happy to see him succeeding. Uh, trade number four, Jamison Tyen for Rowanzi Contreras, Miguel Yahure, Kanan Smith and Jigba, and Mikel Escado. I'm going to work from the end here. Escado, he's been kind of scuffling, was in, I believe, Bradenton, only 20 years old, got sent down to the FCL, get some reps, get some work in. He's looked overmatched at the plate because he's playing against much older, much more tenured uh, opponents. He's still performing pretty well. He's a good fielder. Good speed, could potentially be a shortstop of the future. He just needs to get more time and kind of grow and build that confidence. He was batting sub 200 in the minors. Um, I think going to the FCL, getting some experience against guys who are more on his current level will help to build that back up because he's got some real power in the bat uh, and certainly good speed. Kanan Smith and Jigba, I'm really high on him. He has a shorter, sturdy, like kind of stocky stature. We saw him for a game last week. He hit a double in his first at bat. He was misplaying some balls defensively. Obviously, the near collision with Reynolds, a ball bounced off the wall that he missed, and I think it ended up being a triple. But he's got such power in his bat. He's got a great eye for the plate. Um, he's going to walk almost as much as he strikes out. Just really great. I'm super high on that guy. Miguel Yahure, a little bit less high on. He had a, a ton of potential, just really struggled to get going last season. I feel like he's got it. He's the kind of guy who needs to get his confidence back under him before he can really get moving. And then Rowan to Contreras, fireball. I mean, he's looking like a top of the rotation kind of guy. Could be an ace lined up as our number one guy for years to come. When we get Priester and Burroughs up in that lineup, that's going to be a really dangerous rotation. And then Jamison Tyen moving to join his buddy Garrett Cole in New York. He's been great. I think he's got a sub-3 ERA this season. He's 8-0 or 8-1. I think he won a 3-0 game yesterday against Toronto. Um, so he's having a really good season. He had a near no-hitter, a near-perfect game 
the other week. So he's certainly having some success. He's also in his walk year. So we basically traded two years of tie-in for that haul of Contreras, Yahure, Smith and Jigba, and Escado. So I, uh, you know, we're, we're trading these pitchers who are going on and becoming aces with their new clubs, but it's only for two years, and then they're going to potentially, I don't know if Tyen's going to leave the Yankees, but, you know, these, these are guys who are going to get easy six-figure deals. Yeah, I, I call this trade or a nine-figure deals for, for both the Yankees and the, uh, the Pirates. Yeah, because the Yankees were looking for a win-now kind of situation. They were willing to, you know, send out some prospects who had potential, and Pirates were looking to build. And I think it was a similar thing with the Padres, where they needed another arm. At that time, they had added Hugh Darvish. They had added... Blake um, Snell. Snell. So they were really, like, yeah, added. They were, they they were win-now. They're, they're win-now. We have to compete with the Dodgers. Yeah. So didn't quite work out for them last season, but I think as of at least this morning, they're leading the division or close to it, maybe a half game out. So speaking of uh, the Padres, another Padres trade, Adam Frazier for Tucapito Marcano, Jack Sawinski, and Michael Miliano. Uh, Frazier tanked after he went to the Padres. A lot of people didn't like this trade, felt like it was better to keep Frazier rather than to dump him for Marcano, who you know, in his small cup of coffee in the bigs with the Padres didn't look good. He was only 21 years old when he came up for, I think, 30 at-bats. And Sawinski, you know, he was in high A or went to double A. Miliano, I believe, has been sent to Greensboro. He's a relief pitcher there. But uh, pretty easy to see, you know, hindsight being what it is. This was a good trade. Sawinski's got 11 home runs on the season. You know, he's not – the batting average isn't going to wow anybody, but – Man, Captain Jack's got a big bat. And Marcano, he's hitting over 300, or around 300. I think it's dropped a little bit this past week. And uh, playing good defense. He's able to move around a lot. Kind of a a Josh Harrison-type player. So I think that's, I'm not sure, probably you'd agree. Thumbs up that that we won this trade. Oh, that trade has wind written all over it. So the Padres ended up... Trading Frazier, Frazier to the Mariners for, I think, less of a haul than even we got. Yeah, he wasn't going to be sticking around much longer anyway. Uh, he, he was fun to watch in Pittsburgh. I, I like to have him around, but for what we got back for him, there's zero complaints. Yeah, he had good energy, had a really standout season. I think even when we traded him, it was starting to show that it was a it was a mirage. It wasn't going to hold up as he moved over to San Diego. And yeah, basically, uh, now... basically him, him for Marcano was like an even swap. And then getting Swinsky was just icing on the cake. Yeah. No, Marcano definitely is great. He's, he's like Frazier plus. And swinsky has got a power bat and Frazier, you know, struggled with San Diego. And now he's with the Mariners. I think he's still struggling there. Um, a Mariners trade that we made Tyler Anderson was, going to go to the Phillies, but that trade fell apart and then was dealt pretty quickly after that to the Mariners for Carter Bins and Joaquin Tejada. Uh, Tejada's a pitcher, I believe, in Bradenton. Bins is backup catcher now with Indianapolis. Anderson was pretty much there on a short-term deal. He's pitching really well in uh, Los Angeles. I think he had a no-hitter going into the ninth the other night. Um, he's maybe 8-0 or 8-1 on the season, so kind of a trend of uh, former Pirates pitchers going being successful somewhere else. But I, I feel like what we got back was kind of okay. For, I think he was at maybe a 4.35 ERA at the time we, we traded him. So it wasn't something where, like, we're dealing the best pitcher in baseball. Yeah, and I think, if I'm not mistaken, he was kind of a sign-and-trade player to begin with. I think that was, yeah, kind of like a Jose Quintana situation this year who, you know, he's starting to fall yeah. off a little bit, but still has that kind of potential where a contender is going to want him. Yeah. Like you said, if, if you need a number four, number five guy, if he can even relatively keep up what he's doing, yeah, they should get it. They should get a decent, a decent return for him. Yeah, I think so too. So uh, and Tejada, he's down in the FCL right now. He's got, in four games, two starts, eight in the third innings, three hits, two runs, and 
14 strikeouts. Well, that can't be right. That is insane. So he, <laughs> he is only 18 years old, uh, 5'11", 160 pounds, certainly has the uh, ability to pack on more muscle, but seven walks in that time and one hit batter. So maybe a little wild, but boy, seems like he's he's got some really good stuff. I think he'll end up being the better part of that trade return. But yeah, just that, that's going to that's gonna be more of a long-term see how he works out as far as what you got in return with, with yeah. him. Yeah, and that's way down the line with Huntington. Neil Huntington previously, he would be trading for guys who are a little bit more major league ready or at least close to it, whereas for the most part, Charrington seems like he's been going for guys who have that high upside but maybe aren't going to be in the major leagues for a while. Um, one exception to that is number seven on this list when we traded Clay Holmes last year for Hoy Park and Diego Castillo. So, Park hit a home run today, Castillo hit a home run yesterday, but for the most part, those two haven't been so great, whereas Holmes has turned into like a and crazy reliever. Crazy good. <laughs> like Chapman's coming back from injury, and they're like, are we even going to replace Holmes as closer with this guy? He's, uh, it's insane. And he's he had good stuff with the Pirates. He was just He just couldn't control it. I, I'm seeing a trend here that I'm not quite liking. <laughs> I we like do have every pitcher that we traded away has been damn near lights out. Yeah, I I don't want to say. Oh, does that fall on the pitching coach? Because so they went so to I so many s- different places. Yeah, like not- I won't. I I don't know what it was with Clay Holmes, except for the fact that he managed to put everything together. The next guy on this list, former Bucko. Uh, did not put it together with the next with his uh, team he went to, and that's Richard Rodriguez for Bryce Wilson and Ricky DeVito. Uh, trade with the Braves. Bryce Wilson, you know, hasn't been great as a starter. Ricky DeVito, he is you know a top thirty contender for prospect. I believe he's down in either Greensboro or Altoona currently, but uh, it seems like the higher end of that deal, but. Rodriguez did terrible when he went to Atlanta. He's now serving a full season suspension because of PEDs. Yeah, so, I, I don't. I don't feel like he got a lot of opportunities in Atlanta. Like for first going there, you figure you trade for someone like that, you're you're gonna let him log more innings than what he did. But at the same time, I believe it was Will Smith started pitching lights out as soon as the postseason started. So it was almost like, well, do we have to give him that shot? We're playing the hot hand. All right, so he was traded at the end of July. He appeared in 27 games for the rest of the season. And he actually had a 3.12 ERA, but he was giving up a lot of hard contacts was really wild with his pitches. And that um, was he, right after the sticky stuff situation, the spider yeah, thing, right? He, yeah, Rich Rod was one of the guys who definitely used sticky stuff. You could see it on his hat. You could see it on his jersey. And then when he wasn't able to use that, he, I guess, went to PEDs. So and now he's yeah. out of baseball temporarily. So I mean, I, I, uh, don't, I don't know how, how you feel about the whole situation. I'm not against uh, giving the pitchers a little bit of aid as far as grip. I'm. I also agree, and I think that that's kind of like a baseball wide. Like the players all want the pitchers to be able to. If a guy's going to be throwing, you know, ninety five to one hundred miles an hour, don't the hit hitter him in the wants him. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I think Giancarlo Stanton will probably be at the front forefront of that, saying like, "Hey, I want this guy to know where he's going to throw it." Right, and it's like I know there was. A select few that are like, oh, you know, it's not fair. Blah, blah, blah. Well, if that's the case, batters don't use pine tar, don't use batting gloves. Those are all aids. I mean, that's helping you with your swing. Yep. If it's helping you grip the bat, that's really not much different from gripping a ball. Yeah, I, I think with the sticky stuff, I mean, yeah, cracking down. Our, are there limitations? Yes. Maybe spider sure. jack was a bit much. But, I mean, you see where guys were using, uh, I believe it was sunscreen in the resin bags. Yeah. To, to help them get better grip. And it seemed like yep. everyone was pretty much on board. You know, let that slide. 
That's yeah, that's not giving and them they, that big of an advantage. Yeah, they were they were using mixes of that stuff. I remember a couple of years ago, Trevor Bauer uh, was saying that you know all these guys using the sticky stuff, I could use the sticky stuff and go and win a Cy Young, and he did it for like an inning in a game, and his spin rotation and his like the pitch movement was crazy higher than what it had previously been and then went back to normal but his Cy Young season with the Reds it was back to those levels so he was definitely using the sticky stuff and went and won the Cy Young you know that was in the 2020 shortened season and then got signed this big contract from the Dodgers obviously hasn't played since like the first month of 2021 with his um, domestic assault allegation he's got uh, some stuff going on He's certainly got some stuff. We're not going to go into that. This isn't a Dodgers no. podcast, but um, certainly not going to go into uh, that sort of thing. But the way that he was able to control the ball, like he had come up with some sort of a very specific substance that allowed him to get the spin, but also have near pinpoint accuracy throughout that season. So uh, I agree that maybe there's something that should be across the board for guys like, Hey, this is the list of things you can take. Like they have a list of approved supplements and steroids or whatever Rich Rod took. It's not on that list, man. Yeah. They didn't, they didn't make the cut. So next guy on the list. Number nine was also a uh, trade deadline move with the Red Sox. We traded Austin Davis for Michael Chavis. Kind of split on this one because uh, Davis has been having a pretty good season with the Red Sox. And uh, having a competent left-handed pitcher, he wasn't doing great with us. I think we had traded him, like, traded for him the previous season from the Phillies. Maybe we got, like, cash considerations or something because it's not on my list. But uh, Chavis has kind of stepped it. We didn't have a first baseman option. You know, Yoshi went down and was terrible. Vogie went down and I don't know if he could even play first base anymore. So I, I don't even Chavis... know if he logged an inning over at first base this year. I think he was put in one game and I didn't get to see it, how it went, but it was bad enough that they were like, no, never again. Yeah. I was going to say <laughs> bad enough that they didn't do it again. And if it Shelty not to do it again, it was bad. Yeah. So probably Bogey was like, I don't, I don't want to do it. I'll just, I'll ride the bench or I'll DH. Yeah. So, let me just hit um, the, maybe a lean towards the Red Sox winning that one because I think Davis has provided a little bit more value than Chavis, but I think that Chavis has been performing better with the Red with us than he did with the Red Sox. So for him, that's pretty good. Um, yeah, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go the other way. I'm gonna say the Pirates won that one, mainly because he is our only first base option at this point. Yeah, it's it's definitely toss up. He he's gonna provide more value as a position player at a you know, pretty important position. You can play good defense there than, you know, bullpen piece. Yeah. So, number 10, uh, second to last one on the list here, Brandon Ogle was traded for Abraham Gutierrez. This was, uh, I think, the Phillies. They were looking for a left-handed pitcher, and we were looking for Abraham Gutierrez, and I think somebody else was in the initial Tyler Anderson potential deal that got next. So they ended up getting Ogle. Gutierrez, I mean, defensively he's good. I haven't seen much with the bat. I think he's uh, looking down in Altoona still. So he's got a little ways to go. But it's definitely helping out with our catcher depth, which you're seeing with a lot of these trades. with Carter Bins, Andy Rodriguez can play catcher. So um, don't. And that was a, a pre-draft trade, correct? Um, I <laughs> I'm not sure. I don't remember when the draft was. I, it may have been close to the same time. So that was a, pretty much the point in time where it's like, okay, let's stock up as many catches as we can because we've got no depth here. And yeah. then, of course, I mean, even at that point, I'm sure they knew they were taking Davis, but you also know he's a few years out. Yeah. I mean, we could see him as soon as next year, hopefully. But speaking of catchers, last one on this list, this past offseason trade. Jacob Stallings for Zach Thompson, Kyle Nicholas, Connor Scott. I'm going to go ahead and say Marlins absolutely lost this trade. Stallings, unfortunately, loved the guy. Was so great with the Pirates. Had a you know near platinum glove season. Probably should have won the platinum glove this past season, but got gold glove at least. Um, 
he's doing awful. Like defensively, not doing good. Offensively, he's regressed horribly. Zach Thompson, he's added the sinker to his pitch arsenal, and he's been amazing. And then Kyle Nicholas and Connor Scott. Uh, I'm not as high on Scott. I feel like he's a guy that strikes out a little bit too much, but he's got good speed. He could, you know, leg out infield singles. He's got a bit of power in his bat. And then Kyle Nicholas, fastball, slider. I think he ends up possibly in the bullpen, but uh, I think he's got a changeup that if he develops it a little bit more, could end up like boosting him up. Uh, so I'm really happy. I think he's currently on the injured list, but that was a, a haul for Stallings. We definitely sold high on that. Yeah, I, I think we got the the better end of that deal. Stallings was already, what, 32? Yep. When that trade happened. So you, you knew you didn't have much time left with him anyway. I mean, he was a super cheap option as far as salary goes. Yeah. But, and it, you know, what you it got was back... Enough- it was another situation where it really angered the fans, but also you have to look at it realistically. This is a guy who had a career year, pretty much like Frazier, where it's like, okay, we're going to sell high on this guy because you have to, because they're not going to yeah. play like that forever. And we're in a rebuild. There's, it we was, don't need the luxury of a gold club. Sad to see him go. Cause he was such a big part of the team and the community. Yeah. But you know, you, you have to, think outside the box and see the bigger picture. And it, it was the right move. Yeah. I mean, and, you uh, know, it, it probably would have been better to trade uh, Bell a year prior. Probably could have got <laughs> considerably more for him. Possibly. But, you know, that's, but, that's a, ri- a risk you take. Yeah. So traded him a little bit too late, but I think every, all the other trades probably about at the right time. Uh, and Stallings, the only thing I would have liked is for him to spend a little bit more time to get to mentor uh, Henry Davis to help him go up the ranks a little bit, but because defensively is his big issue. Right, but Perez would have been an excellent option for that had he not gotten hurt. Yeah, and I think and also, Perez I mean, did work with Davis in spring training. Yeah, and even with him being hurt, maybe it's better. I mean, I don't know what he's doing as far as rehab goes, but he could still be that mentor. He wait, wait, wait. We're not talking about Michael Perez? Perennial, you know, excellent catcher? Oh, that's the Perez I was talking about. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Roberto Perez, two-time gold glove winner, has caught no hitters, has worked with, you know, Corey Kluber, has worked with uh, Mike Clevenger. I mean, like, that was good for them to turn around and sign him, but I, I feel like Bauer, they also... The, the list goes on and on, really. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like BC also needed to go and sign another catcher. I don't know if he's putting a little bit too much weight in the Rule 5 draft, where we were slated to pick fourth and had a good chance of getting one of the unprotected top catchers just as a backup, just to kind of slot in there, because we were going into spring training without one. So we're fine now. Heineman's Perez, they're they're not good. They're obviously yeah, not going to be. We're not fine. We're not fine. I'm not. There, there's guys who are able to play the position right now, and we don't have to put Josh Van Meter in there when he comes back from the injury list. Yeah, we'll see. At the trade deadline, maybe maybe they'll maybe they'll trade for somebody just to fill that gap for the short time. Yeah. And I think that will be a future special next month as we get a little bit closer to the trade deadline to discuss potential trade pieces and potential trade partners. But let's look now, reflecting on this past week, to our Stargell Stars of the Week. Offensively, we're going to be kicking it off with the main man, Captain Jack Selinski. Pretty much all due to his game today because nobody was offensively wowing this past week until... Uh, Big Jack Jack went back back three times, three home runs, including the walk off winner. He's gotten stars before, but this was by far his best game. I tried to look it up to see if this is a record. It at least ties the rookie record for most home runs in a game. And per Slangs on at Slangs on Sports on Twitter, Sawinski is the first rookie in MLB history to hit three home runs in a game, including a walk off home run. So history making day and another step towards rookie of the year consideration. For the pitcher, Stargell Star goes to Mitch Keller. Keller has really turned a corner the past month or so. He's added a sinker to his arsenal, but he's also throwing his slider with more movement while adding 
uh, while continuing to pitch his 12-6 curve, upper 90s fastball. Since rejoining the rotation at the end of May, he's pitched 22 and a third innings, allowing only 16 hits. I mean, he's just been consistently putting up uh, solid numbers there. So I'm really happy to see that he's been able to make it work. The sinker-slider combo, certainly getting more movement. His fastball's been coming in a little bit fast. It doesn't matter if you're throwing it you know, 80 miles an hour or 102 miles an hour. If it's flat, guys are going to learn to hit it. Yeah, so I'm and glad that he's been able to adjust on that. I think he's shown he's gotten in some jams, but he's been able to get out of them, which he hasn't in the past. It almost seems like he'd get in a bad position and just almost fall apart. Yeah, I think today was a good example of that, running into trouble early and being able to – he only allowed three hits on the game today. So he had the yeah. two walks in the first inning, single from Peterson that drove them in, and then he gave up two hits, went six innings, and only the um, two runs, one of which was unearned because of the park error. Yeah, for, I mean, from last year to this year, you can tell how much he he's grown as far as maturity goes and just being able to – I'm going to say stay out of his own head and yep. not let those those errors and those those hits just get to him. Yeah. Hopefully Brubaker can take a page out of that book. But moving to the bullpen, Sargell Star could give it to David Bednar, but blown save today. So I will give it to Cam Vo. Hopefully that's the correct way to pronounce his name. He went two and two-thirds innings, allowing just one hit, one walk, and a hit batter with four strikeouts coming up from Indianapolis. Contributing like this, job well done. Really happy with what we're able to see from Indianapolis guys coming in and being productive with the team and also from Altoona, but on the pitching side, it's been more from Indy. Yeah. It's, it's nice seeing guys come up and contribute right away. I'm sure you don't know getting called up if you're going to get thrown in that first game or not the nerves, but he, he showed he can stay calm and uh, handle business. Yeah. Definitely was uh, put in a couple of clutch situations and was able to contribute. Looking ahead to this upcoming week, we've got seven games in seven days, four versus the Cubs at home, and then three at the Rays. The pitching matchups, we've got Killian from the Cubs versus Brubaker, Schwarmer versus Contreras, Keegan Thompson versus Zach Thompson, and then left-hander matchup, uh, Steele versus Quintana for the fourth game against the Cubs. Uh, For the Rays, we're putting out Keller versus Springs, another left-hander, Brubaker versus Kluber, and then Contreras versus McClanahan, who is also a southpaw. So three left-handers that we're facing in that seven-game series. Feels like we're playing so many more southpaws this season. I don't know what it is or if it's just because we happen to have such a left-handed heavy lineup for once. Ed, what are your your thoughts this upcoming two series? I'm pretty confident with these next two series, but that's been known to blow up in my face. (laughs) Uh, Cubs division rival, you never really know what you're going to get. But as far as those matchups go, I like them. Yeah, I'm I'm not hating the matchups. I'm hoping, obviously you hope for a sweep. But I'm going to say three or four. Out of that match, out of that uh, series, the Cubs. Yeah, well, I wouldn't be upset with the split, but I'm expecting three out of four there. Yeah, I'm I'm feeling pretty similar. I think Brubaker's been able to take some steps. Uh, Killian, he's got like a five ERA. Schwarmer, similar five ERA. Contreras isn't going up against like um, he went against Stry- Spencer Strider of the Braves a couple weeks ago, and oh my god, that guy is. So good. He's so yeah, I think Schwarmer is going to be a little bit easier competition. The Thompson matchup, you know, could be about even. And then Steele versus Quintana. I mean, Q's been really good, but we are just not getting anything done versus left-handers. So I like three of four. I, I think that we've got a chance if the bats can continue coming alive. If the rumors are true and we're getting O'Neill Cruz for this upcoming series, certainly could add a little bit more power to that lineup too. Yeah, it'd be nice to see a little more pop. What do you think uh, of the on, Rays? Yeah, moving on to the Rays, that's tough because it's like the Rays are the Rays. Like they'll they're, they'll they, they remind me of the New England Patriots because they'll throw out this guy you've never heard of, and he's just stupid good. Like I, yeah. I, I want to say they'll bring in like oh, 
this Joe Flanahan was a third baseman in high school, and he's going to pitch a complete game now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, Springs, I, I haven't heard of. Kluber, obviously, we have. And Shane McClanahan has been one of their top ten prospects the past few seasons. So, um, yeah. And their lineup is still it's, – it's still good. Yeah, they're 36 and 30 right now. So, winning record, obviously, no chance in that division. I think they're 13 games back of the Yankees. But yeah, they were in a crap division as far as wanting to compete. Yeah. Um, but they do still have a very solid team, very young team with guys like Rosarina and uh, Franco. So, yeah, so I'm, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna call, uh, I'm gonna go one, 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 two in that series. Okay, that was actually the same thing I was thinking with them. So, um, three of four versus the Cubs, one of three against the Rays, probably sounds about right, but we'll see how this stacks out how this plays out and i'll be talking to you again this saturday for the second part of our potentially three-part series where we'll go through picks 20 through 11 on our top 30 prospect list that wraps it up for us here at the 412 double play podcast i am michael castrogano you can follow us on twitter at 412 double play follow ed at ed underscore wassel continuing listening on spotify and apple Podcasts. From all of us here at 412 Double Play Podcast, thank you for joining us, and let's go Bucks. Let's go Bucks.